You're listening to Insights on WGWG.org. My name is Jeff, and joining me uh, over the uh, computer is uh, Rob Christensen. Now, Rob is going to be coming to campus to talk to students and to the general public as well about uh, his long career in reporting and in news analysts, political analysts more specifically, and also about books he's written, including the most recent one, The Rise and Fall of the Branchhead Boys. So, Rob, welcome to the show. Well, thank you, Jeff. Thank you for having me. It's, uh, it's exciting uh, to be able to actually get out and talk to some real people. It's been 18 months uh, and I essentially was off the, the, uh, the book tour uh, uh-huh. uh, because of the, of the pandemic. So it's really, to, uh, I have a, about a half a dozen different uh, uh, talks coming up in the next, uh, next month or so. And uh, so it's really, uh, I'm really happy to be able to, 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 to talk to real people. I understand uh, COVID probably pushed all that back. A book came out in 2019, but then early yeah. 2020, everything shut yeah. down. Yeah. yeah, everything got shut down. And my, my book tour got uh, uh, got delayed. And so therefore, uh, we're now about going doing the makeup and essentially going back and mm-hmm. trying to get these things scheduled. So, Well, folks great. listening to this might want a little background information. Rob Christensen, you retired from the News and Observer of Raleigh. You were there for years and years as both a reporter and a columnist. And uh, I'm thinking that your beat on that was mostly the political scene. Is that correct? Yeah. So I was I basically covered North Carolina politics for 45 years uh, for the for the News Observer in Raleigh. And although a lot of my work appeared also in the Charlotte Observer, too, Mm -hmm. uh, as we when we joined forces uh, under McClatchy. Uh, So, yeah, so I covered everything from. you know, the Jesse Helms's career to Sam Irvin to Terry Sanford, all the way up to the Jim Hunts and the Roy Coopers. And so I've, uh, I've sort of been, I've had a kind of a privileged seat, I guess, to, to watch politics uh, over the years in North Carolina, mainly North Carolina, although I did cover some presidential politics, but, okay. but North Carolina politics is my thing. You know, since then, I know you've been a political analyst. You've been on hundreds of TV and radio programs. Um, just to drop some names, CBS News, CNN, MSNBC, uh, ABC, Fox, PBS. Uh, you know, did people reach out to you? How does one become a political analyst, I guess? Well, you know, that's a good question. You know, if you just write about it and, you, and you're doing it for many years, they, they, uh, they, they, they want to... Uh, they want some local analysis of somebody who's on the scene. And so all these organizations sort of reach out to you and it sort of snowballs, you know, one does it and then it doesn't do it and then dozens do it. So mm-hmm. that's how that sort of, so, sort of works. And so, uh, you know, these, uh, these uh, organizations don't have people in North Carolina, but, mm-hmm. but they, but they are willing to reach out to people who do write about North Carolina politics. So, yeah, so that's kind of the, you know, the fun, that's uh, the fun part of the job is to go on TV and yeah. talk about it. Yeah. Well, I know that from that expertise that you gained over that nearly half a century of covering politics here in the state, that you've contributed before you wrote your own by yourself, you've contributed chapters to numerous other books. So that's right. And so uh, I sort of, uh, I, I never intended to be an author. I, I was just a newspaper guy and, uh, and uh, people would ask me to contribute chapters. And then I wrote my first book uh, back in uh, 2008, I guess it was on the, uh, uh, on uh, the paradoxical politics. And I wrote that wrote book I wrote because there were really no good books about 
modern 20th century North Carolina politics. And mm. if you're going to be reporting on that, you ought to be conversing on it, right? And so, uh, you know, you wouldn't be writing about national politics if you didn't know about Ronald Reagan or you didn't know about Franklin Roosevelt. But uh, we really didn't have very many good books uh, at the time uh, that really talked about how North Carolina uh, uh, developed over, politically over the years. And so I said, I, I had all these questions. So I set out to write the book and, and UNC was uh, kind enough to publish it. Then uh, uh, recently, more recently, I came out with my second book, which was The Rise and Fall of the Branchhead Boys, which we could talk about. And I'm now nearing the end of my third book, which is uh, uh, about the News Observer and the Daniels family, which uh -huh. is called The Journey of a Southern Newspaper. So uh, I'm sort of staying busy in my retirement. Yeah, it does not sound like a retirement at all. It sounds <laughs> like you're busier than ever. Tell me a little bit about your newest book, the book that you're going to be talking about when you come to campus here in, what is it, just a little over a week. Yeah. So it is a, a book about, uh, about really North Carolina's own only political dynasty. Now, you know, other states have dynasties. You know, you talk about the, think about the Kennedys of Massachusetts or the Longs of Louisiana or the Birds of Virginia and the Browns of California and so forth. But the Scott family is, uh, is North Carolina's only uh, political dynasty. And for those of you who have, you know, not grown up here, uh, Carr Scott uh, was the kind of the leading figure. And he was, he, he was elected uh, agriculture commissioner in 1936. And then uh, he was elected governor in 1948. And then he was United States Senator. And his son, Bob Scott, was elected governor in 1968. And, and uh, then was head of the community college system. And then his granddaughter was elected agriculture commissioner in 2000. And she ran into trouble. She ended up going to jail for uh, financial uh, campaign financial regularities. And so, and, and other members of the family were also very uh, important. But beyond just a family dynasty, there's a bigger story here. And the bigger story is that about uh, what uh, I call rural progressivism and how the Scots really led the state in, in a very progressive direction uh, based on the support uh, from, from rural people. Their base of political support was uh, people who lived at the head of the branch, uh, i.e. up the creek, you know, not in wow. town, but that's where the name Branchhead Boys. So they call their supporters the Branchhead Boys. Now, today we think of rural North Carolina, we think of rural people being pretty conservative, right? Think mm -hmm. about uh, supporting Donald Trump or, or, uh, or uh, uh, you know, Richard Nixon or, uh, or George Wallace and some of these other folks. But there was a time in North Carolina and in other places as well where uh, rural politicians led rural voters in a progressive direction. So how did that come about? Well, there's a couple of reasons. And you have to understand that the North Carolina we have today is not the Carolina of a generation or two generations ago. So North Carolina, a couple of generations ago, mid 20th century, was still a very rural state, mainly small towns and rural areas. I think Charlotte was the largest city of about, had about 130,000 in mid-century and so forth. So most people lived out in the country. And if you lived in the city, if you lived in Charlotte, you lived in Raleigh, you lived in Shelby, you know, things were pretty good. You know, electric lights were being strung and all that sort of thing. But if you lived out in the country, you were being left behind. And so when I say that, it was rural North Carolina was one of the last places in the country to get electricity. So in 19, I think it was 1935, something like 3% of farms in North Carolina had electricity. Wow. 3%. And, 
and and only five percent in 1940 had had telephones, and the roads were terrible uh, out in the rural areas, and you know the, these were these were very powerful issues that, that drove voters, and rural voters felt like they weren't were getting the short end of the stick. You know, these were not just inconveniences, but, you know, if you had if you living, had your grandfather living with you and he had a heart problems and you didn't have a telephone or the roads were bad and you couldn't get out. Well, you were uh, you were in big trouble. And so people actually died uh, because of these poor conditions. And uh, and then and then it just the, the work that was involved, uh, uh, if you didn't have electricity, just think about. Uh, uh, what life was like for the housewife back in before electricity came to the farm. Just think about wash day and you had to go out and you had to wash uh, your clothes by hand in these big old uh, uh, tubs outside and, and uh, with this really hard soap and, and then you had rinse them in these big tubs and and then you had to, you know, hang them out to dry. And then you had to, you'd bring them into the house and you had to iron them. You had to heat up the irons on a wood stove, you know, and these big heavy irons. And, you know, women just wore out before their time because they were working so doggone hard. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, this is before in, in the cities and Raleigh's and the Charlottes and, and the Shelby's and so forth, you know, you had electricity and you had some women housewives had these modern conveniences. And, and so it, uh, the, the push to make these changes, you to use government uh, as a powerful uh, force to force the, le- the utility companies to, to run those electric electric lines uh, out there or those telephone lines out there meant a huge change in people's lives in terms of improvement in their lives. And so uh, that's what this book is about. It's about the political movement. And then it's about this the book's called The Rise and the Fall of the Branchhead Boys. And so what happened is that uh, uh, between the time that the father was elected governor, Carr Scott, he's elected governor in 1948. It's interesting to look at all the mail that uh, comes in uh, as, you, as, you're, as you're researching this book. All the mail is written to the governor. Uh, and the mail, and he was like 1948, was all from people all across rural North Carolina was, we need your help. We need to we need we need better schools we need some better roads we need electricity we need phones and so forth so they were asking for an activist government to to work on their behalf Mm -hmm. by 1968 that turned around in uh, in a very different way and so uh but if you looked at the letters that were coming into his son bob scott who was elected governor in 1968 then the, the, the letters were all saying, get the government off our backs mm-hmm. and leave us alone. So the whole tenor of the mail coming in to father and son had changed between 1948 and 1968. And, and that's because the rural, a lot of rural voters were, uh, were no longer as uh, supportive of, of activist government. There's a, there's a couple of reasons why, if you, if you want to know. And, and I, the, the one is that the, the, the number of farmers had declined radically right so and uh, when car scott was a governor there were like something like 300,000 farms uh in north carolina today there's around 50,000 so it's a huge decline and and it's not just a decline in the farms but the farms that do exist now tend not to be these uh, marginal farms these are you know corporate often corporate farms and highly mechanized and computerized and these are folks that are less inclined to, to want government help and the old people that were the older farmers that were, you know, working behind a plow uh, and so forth. And so they felt they were more affluent and they felt like they needed less help. 
And there were all these other issues that got involved too. There was race, there was the Vietnam War, there was these cultural issues. Um, how religion played in all this is really interesting is that uh, when Carr Scott was pushing his progressive program in rural North Carolina, he used religion because people in, in a lot of rural parts of the state are, are pretty religious. And he would use religion as, as, as a tool. He says, you know, God really wants us to improve our lives and be all that we can be. And, you know, we need to get better roads out here and so forth so people can get to church, you know, on Sunday or, or Wednesday night, that sort of thing. And so uh, he, he understood that the religious nature of a lot of people and he used religion uh, as a tool to, for progressive politics, essentially. But uh, by 68, uh, you had the rise of the religious, what they call the religious right or more religious conservatives. And there you had, you know, the issues like some of these cultural issues that were coming up, like abortion and, and, and later gay rights and that sort of thing. And those were uh, the religion, the, the, some of the issues among, for religious people had changed from uh, we need, uh, God needs us to improve the roads and so we can get to church to um, uh, you know, God does not approve of abortion, that sort of thing. So there was a change in kind of the religious outlook of a lot of people. So there, there are other reasons as why as well, but those are some of the reasons. Fascinating. And now I understand the end, the, the title to the book. Uh, I was kind of scratching my head over that, not knowing that term, you know, the branch head boys, but I get it now. It makes a lot of sense. It's a fascinating piece of uh, North Carolina history. Yeah. So, and, and to further expound that a little bit, so the way Carr Scott, Carr Scott well, when he got elected, was like a revolutionary thing. He, the, the state had had, it had a democratic machine. Was each court, each county had a courthouse click that sort of ran things, and they could the, the machine could essentially name who's going to be Democratic governor in four years, and four four years after that, four years after that. Carr Scott came up, and he was a, he was a kind of a rebel against the system, and so he had a win. To win, he had to go up against all the uh, courthouse clicks and the state machine. And so every county, you know, you'd go into, you know, the sheriff, the clerk court, or, or, or some judge was actually the, 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 the leader in that county. And they were not supporting him because the, the machine was supporting uh, Charlie Johnson, who was the state treasurer. And so what he would do is, well, I'm just going to avoid the going into the courthouses. I'm going to go up into the back country uh -huh. where rural people really, really need these things. And, uh, and and that's it. so he went in, into the what he called the uh, you know the head of the branch and uh, mm -hmm. head of the creek, if you will, and uh, and that's that's why he called began calling his supporters the branchhead boys. He didn't have the machine, but he had the rural folks. Right. Sounds reminiscent of uh, Huey Long in Louisiana. So there were people that called him uh, kind of a Huey Long type figure, and so he was at the time he was often compared. Uh, with with Huey Long and and uh, uh, he wasn't quite as radical as Huey Long, you know, and he wasn't he didn't have these dictatorial uh, uh, moves that, that that sometimes got Huey Long in trouble. So he he, he wasn't quite the demagogue, mm -hmm. if, if you will, uh, that Huey Long was. But at the time, people would would call him uh, would compare him with Huey Long. And it's interesting is that he, he inspired a whole range of people to get involved in politics. You know, he was important to Terry Sanford got a start as a car Scott uh, 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 manager. And Jim Hunt was inspired to go into politics. Uh, Jim Hunt uh, named his, I remember being on this farm one day out in Wilson County, you know, Jim Hunt, of course, being the four, former four-term governor. And, 
and he said he showed me his prized bull. And he says, he says, Rob, he says, he says, he says, uh, you know what the name of that my bull is? I said, no, sir, I don't. He says, he says, it's uh, Car Scott. So he named his prized bull after Car Scott. <laughs> so, uh, but even people like as interesting as that one, I came across a letter written when he back in this about 1949. And there's this young radio reporter has written a letter to Car Scott and saying, you are so popular, you ought to run for president. And he, you're the first part North Carolinian uh, that uh, in my lifetime that can actually be elected president. And the name of this young Raleigh radio reporter was Jesse Helms. Wow. Yeah. So he, so it was the people who were, his, his support was, uh, was across party lines and, and philosophical lines. You could be, you know, you could be a liberal, you could be a conservative, but if you wanted a road, it didn't really matter that much whether you were a liberal yeah. or conservative, you know? Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Rob. Rob Christensen, he is uh Going to be on campus, let me get this right, September 17th. Earlier in the day, there'll be a student panel discussion, but that night, starting at seven in Blanton Hall, um, you'll be giving a public, uh, open to the public uh, presentation about your book. They can hear more about this very subject. Well, I'm looking forward to it. It, it should be uh, it should be very informative, a lot of fun. Thank you for taking the time to be here. Thanks, Jeff. WGWG.org. All right, I'm I'm signing off. Thank you so much for your help. Okay, Jeff, thank you so much. Mm. Bye.